Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. She is as cool as Vernestra Rowe. That is right, we call her by her proper name here. Flying the Millennium Falcon with Chewbacca and a Porg. I give you Lindsay. I really hope that's a compliment. You and I have not talked about this book at all yet, so I don't know how you feel about Vern. <laughs> Her name so is Vernestra. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm ho- I'm just hoping it's a good thing, but I guess I'll find out soon enough. You will find out soon enough. Yes, that is right, guys. We are going to be digging into the newest Y A edition to the High Republic era, which is Justina Ireland's Out of the Shadows, uh, which... You, spoiler alert is good. I like it. Um, we also have the the cover of uh, of the new Claudia Gray book got dropped yesterday. Uh, Lindsay, did you see the the images for this? No, I didn't. Yeah, it's I'm the so, so Claudia Gray is the next adult novel that's coming out. I guess. Um, and yeah, and that's part of wave three, though, right? Yes, that would be part of of the third wave, which I think is is sometime in 2022, maybe. I don't think there's another wave coming out this year. If it is, it's late this year. But um, it's very reminiscent of the the cover of Rising Storm. So they're they're clearly going for an aesthetic. Um, I think on the covers, at least for the adult novels. I think the junior novels and the the YA books, you kind of have to consider what will appeal to you know that age demographic a little bit more and capture their interest a little bit more than trying to uh show a progression through through the visuals necessarily whereas with the ya or excuse me with the adult novels you know we had light of the jedi which is a very bright cover rising storm was uh you know a little bit less but you had all the jedi together but not it wasn't as bright and then uh this new one is moving much more to a darker tone so it's interesting. I'll be I'll be really interested to see uh, where these things get taken, um, and especially with the end of Rising Storm, for me, kind of being a little too ambiguous for my likings about exactly what went on. I'm excited to see what Claudia Gray can do with that because she's so good at taking ideas uh, that maybe haven't always been so clear or that we've always wondered about uh, or didn't even realize we should wonder about but then we were like how did i never think of this and presents them in such a cool way you know i'm thinking of like leia uh princess of alderaan and how she um presented uh leia you know trying on padme's dress how she presented leia using the force without realizing it and things like that that we we thought about but never really considered so i'm excited for it obviously it's claudia gray she's fantastic um yeah. I was just going to say, anything Claudia Gray, of course you're excited for. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty much sacrilege to uh, to, to do it, uh, to be otherwise. Uh, 
I also had a, a, a realization last night. I have the uh, missing, missing fables, missing legends, uh, holiday edition, the Life Day collection. I think is what it's called on my my bedside table that I am going to be digging into uh, here soon. And uh, just like the other ones, it's George Mann. But we also have Kevin Scott on on the uh, author list on that one. And I realized. Kevin Scott is kind of becoming the most prolific Star Wars writer of our current generation, our current era. He is has his toes in everything. I'm not shocked about that at all, though. I mean, he's so good. He's so versatile. And I always, always, always think back to the conversation you and I had with him. It had to be almost two years ago at this point. But just hearing his insights and the way he approaches certain things, it's absolutely no wonder to me at all that that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll put the uh, the link for that in the show notes, uh, that interview that we had. It was it was fantastic. Uh, and he just he just goes off on on uh, all kinds of, of different ideas and tangents and stuff. And it's really entertaining. Um, that, that's kind of the best kind of podcasting is when you just get to sit back and, and listen to, uh, you know, the person you're interviewing just go off and, and speak so yeah, eloquently about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that's, that's the thing because the way he was speaking about it, it wasn't even just about Star Wars. It was just about storytelling mm-hmm. and about life and what you need to kind of – because at the time he was doing mostly the – not young adult, the children stuff, right? Right. So he was doing a lot of the children stuff and then the comic book stuff. Um, but just hearing his approach to storytelling in general and how for him it wasn't even just Star Wars specific. It was about, you know, teaching lessons about consequences. And that was just so amazing to me. So after that conversation, I am not shocked at all that he is becoming the name he is in the Star Wars community. Yeah, it's, it's a very uh, George Lucas kind of idea, you know, to think about the, yeah. the lessons that you're teaching the kids and stuff like that. And I think the thing that kind of blows my mind, you know, we have authors like Claudia Gray, uh, we have Alexander Freed and, and these these ones that are, are really prolific and really great writers and everything, but they don't cross into too many different mediums. You know, uh, Kevin Scott is, in, you know, he, he's done the, the adult ongoing comics, the kids ongoing comics, uh, you know. Different adventures uh, series he's done. Now the missing fables he's done. Audio dramas he's done. All different grade levels of uh, of, of reading, you know, of a book type, and it, it just it blows my mind to <laughs> that, that uh, you know he's just so insanely talented, and uh, obviously we're a big fan of him here. But I wanted to talk to you about something, Lindsay, because from from time to time I will ask you what you're reading outside of Star Wars, because. I'm terrible, and I, I rarely read anything outside of the saga. I know that's not good for a reading teacher to admit, but it is what it is. Um, but I have actually branched out and read two books that are not Star Wars. Ooh, tell me more. Yes. Well, okay. The first one has a Star Wars connection because it's by Delilah S. Dawson. Uh, I which, knew you were going to somehow connect to that. Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, and so I'm about halfway through that. I, I will... I have to admit, it hasn't drawn me in a whole lot. I don't know if it's because it's a, the horror genre, which is not particularly my thing, mm. or if it's uh, just a little too 
on the nose for for the horror genre where it's like ah yes this is happening and this is happening like it's like checking the boxes but i'm getting to the point now that i'm in the middle that i think things are going to start to go a little haywire because everything that i've expected to happen has happened so i'll have to report back on that one um i am not disappointed in it at all but i am definitely reserving judgment the other book that i read uh is called milk and honey by rupi kuyar Hopefully I said I said the name right, her name right. Um, but it is a, a collection of poems that actually tells a story of uh, the female experience, particularly with uh, relationships and we'll say trauma that can uh, exist and happen in those relationships. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, is that a little bit older, if I'm not mistaken? And I don't mean older even as in, like, decades old, but, like, a couple of years now at least? Yeah. Um, I don't remember exactly the year, and I don't have it in front of me um, that it came out, but she has three now I'm such curious. books. Yeah. She has three such books, and, and I'm going to read the other two, but um, I always love trying to get other people's perspectives obviously you know that's kind of what we do here um but just learning about other people and i think over the last few years uh i've really realized especially as i've like learned about my own diagnoses with adhd and different things like that like how narrow my perspective has been and like not intentionally but just because of the way my brain works i i focus on singular points and so when something is true to me, it's true to me, and that's that. Uh, so I'm really trying to force myself out and think about the other perspectives uh, and experiences that people go through and stuff like that. And this is one where she gets really raw with her emotions um, and the, the impact and the ups and downs of uh, breaking and rebuilding relationships both with others and with yourself. Um, and, and it was really good. I read it in two days. It's a really quick read. So I'll have to check that out because I did something similar, actually, you know, with the um, when the Black Lives Matter movement really kind of came back into the forefront of things about this time last year or a little bit more than a year ago. Everyone else was and I did, too, you know, kind of did my due diligence and trying to educate myself. And I watched the documentaries that people were talking about and picked up a couple of the books that people were talking about. But what I found so much more helpful to put myself in someone else's shoes was I actually started reading a lot of poetry by Audre Lorde and getting that type of insight because for me it's a much more engaging way and it's a much more personal way so it's funny because all of the kind of nonfiction stuff that you can read to me kind of poetry and those short essays um, that's such a better way in my opinion to actually put yourself in someone else's shoes even like David Sedaris who writes you know, comedic short stories and short essays. I think it's just an amazing way to put myself in someone like his position and actually find out what they're going through as opposed to something that's going to sit there and just try and, you know, pontificate. There we go to you. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's just human nature and it's an evolutionary thing that we see the world through our own lens. Cause obviously our number one thing to do is survive uh and if you're not focusing on yourself you're you're not going to survive if if you're um you know 
throughout history when when we've really had to worry about survival you know and worry about when you're where you're getting food mm-hmm. and where the predators are coming from and stuff like that you have to look only through your perspective and you, and you almost have to have blinders on um so that you can protect your own experience but we're in an era now especially with the continued growth of of communication and things that i just I think it's really easy to fall into an echo chamber of our own opinions and stuff like that. And so it's really important for us to branch out and seek those other things, those other perspectives, even if it is something, especially I would say, actually, if it is something that makes you uncomfortable, because there were, there were some times that I was very uncomfortable with the the subject matter that she was uh, discussing in her poems and stuff like that, but I was like, that. I think that's kind of the point of the poem is to make people like me uncomfortable because we assume that we know what other people are fearing. I know I have a, a huge problem of projecting my own feelings onto other people and assuming they feel the same way as me. So it's always good to to try to uh, see through another person's lens and i think star wars asks us to do that too you know like it asks us to look from the perspective of different jedi and the the rebellion and the resistance and all these ideological differences uh that we have and you know even things like you know anakin versus obi-wan and looking at the the order versus love and different things like that um i think it's a very star wars thing to to try to figure out what the balance is between those different perspectives Good transition. Yeah, I, I should, try. We, <laughs> should we talk about out of the shadows? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So it seems like a good time. <laughs> we uh, we like to start with uh, you know digging into or excuse me, before we dig into actually getting in the story, uh, we like to give a little rating at the beginning and then actually see if through our discussion that changes at the end. So, Lindsay, I'm going to let you go first, and uh, out of five, what would you give this this book? I'm trying not to do kind of halvesies on anything um, and give full star ratings. So I will round up to a three out of five. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I think you kind of gave a half there by saying that you were rounding up, but whatever. (laughs) I'm not going to call you out on it. We'll just let that lie. Uh, I'm giving this one a four out of five. Uh, I, I wow! Okay. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy- Justina Ireland is quickly rising the ranks uh, to be one of those authors that I, I really, really enjoy. Um, Lando's Price was a super fun book. Uh, Sparker of the Resistance was weird but fun. Uh, what was the what, the uh, title of the other? Um, Test of Courage, the other uh, yeah. High Republic book that she wrote, is one of my favorites uh, to come out in the High Republic era so far. And I think this one, she did a really good job of um, bringing together characters, both her own and from other stories that we've had, while also introducing new characters and um, evolving the, the plot of the High Republic. Okay, okay. So I'll say, as a High Republic book, I really enjoyed this, but I'm realizing that in the High Republic, and I know we try and and stay away from talking about just the plot, but I've realized that in the High Republic, what I'm really enjoying is the actual plot. And I love the 
the Jedi Order with where they're at now. I love um, a lot of the villains that we're seeing. And I really love the idea of, um, of what's your face, San, um, Santeca, mm-hmm. as kind of that navigator. And that she is like the, the prized possession. And she she's technically the MacGuffin that no one knows they're after. And I really like all of that. What I struggled with with Out of the Shadows and the reason why it's a little bit lower for me is, you know, and I've, I've never hidden this at all. I've never been embarrassed by this at all. I think that the YA novels are better than a lot of the quote-unquote adult novels in Star Wars. Yeah, Just absolutely. because the themes, yeah. I mean, the, the themes that they deal with, I still really relate to. I don't think you're ever too old for a coming-of-age type story. For me, this one really... This is, Okay, so this is what I realized. And it's going to sound so weird to say it as a negative. But most other YA stories, we get in the beginning a very incomplete character, at least one. And we get to watch them struggle and we get to watch them grow. I think my biggest issue with Out of the Shadows is all, you know, four or five, however you want to label them, the main characters, right? And and I know some of them kind of go in now, but we'll say that the five real main characters are very whole and very complete when we first meet them, where I feel like I don't necessarily have to watch them grow. Ooh. See, I, I, I would disagree with that. I would say I see where you're coming from on that, especially um, particularly considering Vernestra and Imri and, and their uh, story arc and, and how that kind of came they kind of figured it out and figured out who they're supposed to be a little bit more in uh, a test of courage. But here to me, it it's that evolution of the next step of, of their life. And so, yes, they figured out that part of who they're supposed to be. Uh, you know, Vernestra figured out uh, part of what it means to be a Jedi Knight, uh, or actually she figured out what it does mean to be a Jedi Knight. Emery did figure out the tension and the struggle that exists and is always present with the dark side they figured those out in test of courage but here is that next evolution where vernestra is having to figure out how to be a master and emory is trying to figure out how to uh balance if you will his particular talents and and that master apprentice relationship here is more the focus i think than the individual journeys because those did happen in test of courage yeah i think i just kind of wish then it was more focused on there's there's a lot of different characters being juggled around this and i'm usually okay with an ensemble type of piece like that but if you're saying that the relationship that the the story here is dependent on the relationship between the two characters those should be the two characters that we spend 80% of our time with. That's fair. And I I do think that is one of the dangers of the High Republic is that you have so many characters going on at the same time. And I said something similar uh, for Rising Storm with how, the to me, the battle of uh, Valo... Val- yeah, Valo uh, was Valo. way too way too long, um, but it was because you had so many characters, you had to hit everything that was happening 
throughout the whole battle, right? And and that was a little bit exhausting. Here, I guess maybe because we had a solid background with these characters and being that you know all the returning jedi that we had we had we had had that's the right way to say it it sounds so weird had but had had had, had. had. Uh, but we had <laughs> we had them in either a a junior novel or a ya novel which is more limited in its presentation of characters it, it's much clearer uh what the character traits and, and the arc of the character is versus a full-on adult novel so i think just having that very clear familiarity with them uh and and being able to easily remember what their journey was before made it really easy for me to jump on board with the story that was happening now yeah i'm happy that this came out as part of wave two for that exact reason because had more time passed in between you know this and and rising storm and whatnot i don't think i would have one remembered a lot um but two also felt a lot of connection to a character this is where i get myself in trouble because i don't listen to the books i read the books how do you say his name is it wraith wreath i go i go with wreath okay we'll say wreath for the remainder of this someone can correct us if we're wrong i really like him he's actually one of my favorites um but to get him right out of rising storm and and not too long after wave one that's really fun for me but especially just getting to build from the relationship between him and nan and this is this Mm. is the most confusing thing can i just say that having a character named nan who is a younger person taking care of the older person (laughs) is kind of ironic is incredibly confusing (laughs) i can't tell you how often i would turn the page and be like nan and then i have to like completely reset myself when they mention the old lady (laughs) as soon as i heard nan i was just like haha old lady got it yeah uh no i actually hadn't like i hadn't thought of that but it definitely holds true for for my reading experience too of like yeah, it, it, it's kind of like when you have a uh, Earth name, you know, uh, in Star Wars. Like, I think we had Douglas in one of the novels, and it was like Master Douglas. Like, just sounds like he should be teaching at a, a community college. Like, it doesn't seem like it should be a Jedi. So it is a little, a little <laughs> off putting. I, I think, as far as you know, the the reason that these characters really hit for me, especially. Vernestra and Emery in their relationship is because I see a lot of myself in those two characters, um, especially in this book. So uh, Vernestra is, you know, becoming a master at a really young age, doesn't know what she's doing. She's getting these problems presented to her that she has no idea even where to start looking, let alone actually do something to get the needed outcome. Um, and, And so... I have been in that position before. I know the struggle of that, uh, you know, as as being a teacher and being a leader in many different arenas. And so I can relate to her freaking out um, about that and how she she is starting to comprehend the weight of what will happen if she makes a mistake. And that's very relatable to me um, because it is both it both would be her fault because she's the the leader and the master, but it would also not be her fault because she can't 
act for other people. And so she can't do the work for Emery that needs to be done, but it also is falling on her shoulders at the same time if that work is not done. Does that make sense? It does. I think my larger issue with that whole concept, though, is just does the work really need to be done? Like, to me, you know, Ooh. what they're they're working on with him is, like, is that really a bad thing? You know? <laughs> I mean, honestly, no. I, I, I think 100% it is. Um, it is a bad thing? Being able to, like, feel other people's emotions to that extent. Control it, though. Because she's not saying you shouldn't feel it. She's saying you shouldn't control it. And I think he... I would I would be more interested in a story where Emery is sitting there saying, "No, I like controlling people's emotions. You know, this is good for me. Look at all the all the good strategic ways I've used it for." Whereas instead, he's sitting here and he's like, "No, this is a burden. I don't really want this. I don't want to use it." He's he's a good soul already. You know, I don't think it's something he's really going to struggle with. And I would put it um, just because this this kind of power I've seen used twice before, not in star Wars. Um, one would be Mantis in, um, guardians of the galaxy. And the other one, I cannot for the life of me, remember her name, but it's in the Wolverine movies. And Mantis in Marvel uses this in a very sympathetic way where she's sitting there and she says, okay, this isn't always going to be a battle tactic. This is just me trying to console my friends. I'm not going to change the place they're in. I'm just going to give them the ability to deal with it by taking away some of that pain for them. Whereas in the Wolverine movies, yeah, she uses it, you know, kind of for evil and she uses it in a manipulative way. And because Emery falls more towards the Mantis side where he's saying, I'm not going to use this as a battle tactic. I'm going to use this only for the people I care about so that they are not in pain. Why really put so much time and effort and assume that this is a bad thing? But see, that's just one aspect of it for me. Like I, I see it as the bigger issue is not like they do. They discuss and have to deal with the morality of having the capacity to affect someone else's emotions and manipulate someone else's emotions and, and mental state, um, which I think is important for an important conversation in a world where you know you have Jedi mind tricks that we just go like, oh yeah, they did that, and you don't really discuss in the movies the morality of influencing somebody else's actions, even if it is for good. Because as terrible as he is, Palpatine was right. Good is a point of view. Uh, you know what's good to one person and good to another person may not be exactly the same thing. But for me, the bigger storyline with Emery was the fact that he feels everybody else's emotions and it's, it's almost dehabilitating for him. Right. And I think that's something that we should have seen more of the point where it becomes debilitating for him that I don't think we, we got to really spend enough time with. Yeah. It just went straight to, you know, rape is sad. He consoles him and Vernestra just jumps right to, Oh my God, this is terrible. This is a bad thing. Whereas then by the time it really does start to weigh on him and he starts to, you know, starts, starts crying when Jordana and Syl are reunited and maybe that's a little bit more de- de- dehabilitating. 
by the time that comes around is just like adding fuel to the fire. Whereas I'm still sitting there. I'm like, why is this really that bad of a thing? I don't know. I, I just, to me, I think you're focusing on the, the singular events and not the overarching power itself. Right. Um, like, the to which though i would say that is justina ireland's job is to make me focus on the overall power but instead we only see it in these singular events and the singular events were not bad enough to make me take a step back and see it for that overall well see for for me like when he there's a couple times when he walks in the room and they stop for a couple sentences so Vernestra can like check on him and be like, are you okay? Or, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that the feelings and his reaction to the feelings that he gets, gets more and more extreme just without using it at all. Right. Like that's one of the things that's, that is present throughout all of the story is what do you do when you have this ability that you don't understand and you don't know how to control, regardless of what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, like Nan so, has this power of loyalty. Uh, Vernestra has the the hyperspace power. Emery has the emotional, uh, you know, connection with others, regardless of actual implementation. But how does your particular set of skills and your particular gifts influence how you approach? your life and the use of those gifts. Are we meant to believe, and, and this I feel almost bad asking here because I feel like of all of the shows on our network, this is a question best left actually for Sith Talk. Um, and I would love to hear Sam and Zach's thoughts on this. But are we meant to believe in any way that anything happening right now is exe not exemplifying? Um, Escalating. Think, there we go. Escalating the... I don't know why I just thanked myself for remembering a word. <laughs> Way to go, Lindsay. I'll, I'll congratulate you. Good job. Well done. Pat myself on the back there. Are we meant to believe that everything happening right now in the galaxy is escalating force powers? Because that's the impression that I was starting to get towards the end of it, was it wasn't even just, you know, Emery coming of age and having to deal with certain things. It was the fact that yeah, the, the hyperspace visions for Vern were coming back and it's something she was having to deal with more and more and they seem to be speeding up and they seem to be getting more realistic almost. Are we meant to believe that, you know, young adult novel coming of age aside, is that something happening in the Star Wars galaxy right now that we're going to see as, you know, wave three starts to come out too? Are force powers becoming more sensitive? I definitely think that's a possibility. Um, they're definitely talking about the morality of the usage of the Force in pretty much everything. Even the the uh, junior novels are getting into that. And so I think maybe that adds to the perspective of maybe it's if to play devil's advocate, if it's not that the, the force is actually escalating things, that it is the fact that we are seeing so many different kinds of powers all being discussed and all being analyzed through a moral 
lens at the same time escalates it in our perspective. Um, so, you know, it's kind of one of those perception creates reality, certain point of view kind of things. But I think you're to, to support your argument, there definitely is that possibility because if you go to, I was just watching the last Jedi the other night, darkness rises light to meet it. Right. And you have this, this threat of the Nile that is rising and the Jedi's role in the Republic and thus their use and manipulation of the force is like, it is escalating to the extent you know, to which it's escalating, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But knowing what we know in the end and knowing that the Sith are out there, this is something that fascinates me. The Sith are out there. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't think we consider that. And consider the fact that they're, you know, the this is leading up to High Republic, you know, the head point is going to be somehow related to the Acolyte. That happens at the end of the High Republic era, which we can assume has to do something with Darkseid and Sith. We've seen the rise of more Darkseid powers uh, being used, such as you know we did with Stellan in... in uh, was it Stellan? No, Elzar in uh, the Battle of Valo. So there is a natural escalation that has to be occurring, because we need to get to the point where the Sith are able to take over. And I I believe that the canon has, maybe it hasn't fully supported, but it hasn't negated the fact that the Sith are back behind the scenes manipulating things. And I, I have a feeling that to some extent they are manipulating the Nile. I'm not sure exactly how yet, but to me, you... In the end of this book, you get rid of uh, Maria Maria Santeco. Is that her name? Starts with an M. You get rid of you get rid of uh, not Nan Santeca. I think Mari. Mari Santeca, right? <laughs> and uh, and we need to make that a shirt. Not Nan Santeca. But you get ri- you like you said at the beginning. She's the MacGuffin. She's the thing that everybody's trying to figure out. And now she's gone. So everybody's going to be going after Vern, right? Um, you're you're switching on us who the MacGuffin is, who the target for everybody is going to be this early. Like, we're still in part one. Like, yes, we have these waves, and we're in wave two, and it feels like we have a lot of content, but this is a three-phase thing that's going to be happening over years, right? And so... If you're already getting rid of the big MacGuffin, to me, that's a clue that, yeah, you think Martian Rowe is the big bad, but there's big badder. And they're already throwing that into question by having him and Lorna D and how people perceive Lorna D to be the eye and like – we started out. I in- love, I love that entire dynamic. The yes. entire like ep- upper echelons of the Nile. I love, and I want entire books focused. Just, like, don't get me wrong, the Jedi of the High Republic are awesome, and even some of the the you know the pirates and the scoundrels that we've met really like them too. But that to me is the story. So yeah, if you know, come like wave three, we get a whole other added layer of. The Sith thrown on top of that, I can't even imagine. But that's something I want to dive into. But I do want to hear, since you you seem to enjoy this book so much more than I did, 
how did you feel as we're talking about, you know, people don't necessarily realize what it is they're after. How did you feel about um, the character Graf and Syl's mother still being around? It, it was a little too predictable for me. Okay. That, that was the... I liked uh, uh, Syl. I thought she was... A, and, and Jordana, and I liked... I did too, yeah. I enjoyed them. Um, I did realize, and, and I don't think this is necessarily a negative, um, that I'm more... I'm quicker to get on board with a uh, LGBTQ ship uh, that's presented in, in, especially in the books, because that's where it's primarily happening. I'm a lot quicker to accept those than to um, just accept a a male female, you know, kind of relationship. Mm. And I, I think that that's an interesting thing to consider uh, for myself as a reader, and how those are things that we we want those things to be happening. Uh, they need to be happening, and I'm happy that they are happening with more regularity in stories. Um, but it, and at not but but and at the same time, we have to also do it in a way that is not cliche and predictable. Um, which, to a certain extent, this one was like I, I, I kind of knew Jordana was going to rejoin her in the end, and they're going to go yeah. happily ever after. And I I, I just don't want that to become the trend of okay we're going to give you these lgbtq characters we're going to put them in relationships but we're going to follow the same cliches that we've followed for the past however many years with your your straight couples um and your straight ships so that's something i want to keep an eye on um but i honestly forgot what your question was (laughs) (laughs) kind of just how you felt about not even just Sill, but you know, of course, oh, yeah, the yeah. Two characters are tangent to Sill, but but um, Graf and Sill's mother. It, that, it so felt predictable. Me, Graf, and this was well, this was part of my issue with the the book as a whole, and why I couldn't really rate it higher than you know, rounding up to a three of three. We know what that means. Um, but it's it was Graf was so predictable and being unpredictable. I don't like the Jack Sparrow-esque characters anymore. I obviously love Jack Sparrow, and I love this originally, but now I feel like it's just become, you know, the the easy easy out for a lot of people in terms of having a character who every time he opens his mouth, his or her mouth, it's going to be some kind of lie. I don't really like when I can't trust what I'm reading anymore. And that for me becomes very aggravating very early on where it's like, it's going to be predictable that they're lying. And now the next 30 pages are going to be about unraveling that lie. And then the next time this character speaks, it's going to be 30 pages of unraveling that lie. You know, I, I need a little bit more, I think variation and more trust in my characters. That that's fair. Um, I, I think at least my understanding of this is there wasn't any point when we were supposed to believe that he wasn't lying. Uh, I don't think there were, to me, it's funny you said Jack Sparrow because I thought of him as like uh, people from Hunger Games, you know, at the Capitol and how like they're so self-centered and the 
riches and the garb and everything just allows them to ignore the actual struggles of the everyday person. But they came from hard backgrounds because their great-great-grandparents were hyperspace prospectors. And you're like, dude, you never suffered a day in your life. Uh, <laughs> that's the, the relationship I made there. But to me, I, I feel like the plot of this book was it wasn't the best. It was pretty predictable, save for a couple things at the end, like Vern getting the path and uh, the death of Murray Santeca. Um, those I didn't expect to happen, especially this early in the High Republic storyline. But I don't think we were ever supposed to trust Graf because I don't think we were ever supposed to really focus on him. So I think part of the point of having a predictable plot was for us to focus more on the characters, which when I consider it from that perspective, it would make sense that I like it significantly more than you do because Test of Courage, which pres- you know introduced some of the most important characters in this book to us, is one of my favorites. And I know it's not like you don't like it, but for me, it ranks really, really high. And for you, it's, it's another book that's there. And yeah, good job, uh, which is totally valid. I think me coming in invested in a couple of these characters already allowed for me to enjoy this book a lot more than maybe the average reader would have because to me it is a character centric story and I also think it also feel it feels like a setup story like it's setting up the places and the things that are going to happen in the future it does and you know it's so funny you say that because as I was reading it and as I was thinking about a lot of these characters I kept thinking about the series, like the book series that I would read as as a kid. And it's a weird word to say because I don't mean series as in one. I think of the multiple book series that I would read. Um, But it's like I would want actual book series about really each one of those characters and to have much shorter stories about Syl, have much shorter stories about, you know, Vern and Emery. And then have entire series focused around those shorter stories. But I think because of that, maybe that's why I felt like this should have been branched off in different ways. And like you said, it could be setting up for something else. I think overall that something is going to be much bigger than individual characters. Um, but it's it's hard to say right now, you know? It there's, is. There's so much in the air. There's so many moving parts. And who knows? I think this, they're still kind of throwing out some jabs and seeing how people respond in order to know exactly where to go with the story, not in a bad way, not in a, they're going to try and please the readers type of way, but just to see what resonates. Right. And that, that was actually one question I wanted to ask you because we do have this story of the graphs versus the Santecas and the, the hyperspace prospecting families and all of that stuff. Um, and we've gotten a few different stories like this in, especially the YA and the uh, adult novels. And being that the High Republic is supposed to be Jedi-centric, do these stories take a hit for taking time away from the Jedi to focus on these other things? Or is that something that you're enjoying seeing develop? Um, great question. It's something for right now I am enjoying seeing develop as long as there is a payoff. I don't want to sit here, you know, three years from now thinking, well, whatever happened with this, you're, this ended up being a really crappy storyline. I think it has a lot of potential. So I'm enjoying 
the early stages of that for right now. I just don't want to get myself so hyped up and saying, this is going to be where the story goes. This is going to be such an amazing story, such great characters and such rich history. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it all plays out, but I don't mind the quote unquote distractions by any means for, for now. Yeah. I think the, for now is especially important for me because, (sighs) because Thrawn, I I hate it. I hate having to bring this up so much. Dude, I wasn't, I was trying so hard not to say it, but that's exactly Mm. what I was thinking. Like the past and the Skywalkers and now Vernestra has it and it's supposed to, to, it it could be leading to somewhere else. And the fact that we're getting this Chiss story, you know, origin story at the same time that we're getting, uh, I'm so scared. I'm so utterly terrified that, Thrawn is going to just become this central character in all of the novels as a way to sell them. And I'm usually not the pessimist that is like, they're just doing it to try to sell things. But Thrawn, we have said it as nauseum. I stand by it. And until something comes out to prove me wrong, he is nothing but a token to please a certain subset of fans and he doesn't help develop the stories and the fact that we're getting these skywalkers at the same time as we're getting these paths both of which have something to do with hyperspace we don't quite understand how it works you know uh it centers around essentially now with with uh Vern having the path it centers around children essentially it's just too eerily similar that I'm not going to say I'm pessimistic about it, but I'm not optimistic about it. <laughs> like I've been that burned is- too many times with, with yes. the Thrawn books. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, look, there's, there's an escape hatch here, you know, because what they're doing with the Jedi is awesome. And I love that every single book off the top of my head in the high Republic era has really dealt with the, Jedi's views on attachment and specified the difference between, you know, romantic attachment versus platonic attachment. And I really like that. I hope we get an entire book centered around that, um, a la Lost Stars type book. Um, but I, I like that there is that escape hatch because I agree with you. You and I famously not the biggest Thrawn fans for many, many reasons. And this is one of them. I don't want any of this to go that direction. Um, so it seems like there's always going to be something else to pivot to. Yeah. And, and to me, that's the more fascinating thing is the nuance being lost with the attachments and the love and things like that. So, Talk a little bit about where you think, like, if you're predicting based on particularly, you know, the stories that we have right now, where is that going to go? I think we're going to start to focus more on, hold on, I take it back, because there's a difference between what I think is going to happen and what I hope happens. I hope that we're going to focus a lot more on the Nile. And I love that this book ends with two characters going to Takadana to meet who I'm presuming is Maz. Um, I, I like all of that. And I hope we get a little bit more of that seedy underworld type story. 
and we get more of the upper echelons of the Nile. I think we're going to stay focused on more the Republic side and not necessarily just the Jedi. I think it's only a matter of time until we really get into the politics of it all. You know, every book has introduced more senators, more ambassadors. Um, I I think we're going to start to see more of the relationship and the allyship between the Republic and between the Jedi play out. Yeah, I I definitely think you're spot on, especially, you know, we brought in, was it Gina Staros? Um, Which of course, you know, has the connections to Santa Staros, which has the connections to, uh, okay. Han and everything. This is, again, I feel like something for Sidsong to handle. But but why, when Jedi younglings come to the temple, why don't they change their last names? I thought this too with with Dooku. Well, but she's a, the Staros is is the senator. No, but this so this is what got me thinking of it because it's very confusing. Let's be real, as readers, that was confusing to have you know same or similar names but why why don't jedi when they or why do they have last names at all when they enter the order why do they keep their last names because then you get into the situation like dooku jedi lost where it's like well if he didn't know he was a count this never would really be an issue like if they if they don't if they can't track their families back I don't know. It, it was just a super random thought that I had when that character was introduced because I had that moment of, hold on, I know this last name. How do I know this last name? This is familiar. Is this a Jedi? Is this in this book? You know, it, it kind of t- takes me a second. Um, so that's just where the the whole thought process. Okay, I, I, process I get came that, from. And, and it was in my notes to to ask you what you thought. I mean, it, it makes sense. Um your perspective of, of like why aren't they changing their like why why would you not change their names obviously um or drop the last name or something like that and um but it, there could also be and this you know could be something that we get later on in the high republic or like maybe it's a tra- tradition to kind of mm-hmm. honor where they come from because you don't one of the things with the attachment is, and especially with the emotion, is recognizing it, respecting it, but not acting on it, right? And and like, oh, interesting. The, we have these ideas of positive and negative emotions, but in actuality, emotions are neutral because emotions don't do anything. You do something with the emotions. Right. Yeah. If you're happy, you use that to act in a certain way. If you're upset, you use that to act in a certain way. But being upset as an emotion is neutral. Right. So being a Jedi, we always assumed, oh, they're, they're pushing them down. They're pushing them to the side. They're ignoring them. Whereas here we we've seen multiple times through different master and apprentice relationships, them saying like, recognize the emotion sit with the emotion uh respect the emotion you know in in different ways uh but it's not acting on it that makes the difference and so i think that that could be something really interesting especially when you consider 
what we get with names and relationships in the sequel trilogy and how Ben assumes because of his last name, he has to be a certain way and has to act a certain way or Ray's lack of a last name gets her to act a certain way and be a certain way. And that would be an interesting contrast if we got something like way earlier in the Jedi, you know, we don't even need a whole story about it. Just some reference when somebody, you know, in the archives or whatever of like, oh, this was the tradition to to keep the last name to pay respect to Ray Comfort. I feel like we found our next topic for the the flagship show. That could be that could be really interesting. You and Brett dive into last names, but but we are wrapping up on time, so I I'm really hoping that I did not just because you know I hate making people not like things. I hope that you still are at a four out of five on this. Are you or or have you changed at all? Because I have not wavered in mine. Uh, I I would say I'm still pretty much at a four out of five. I'm maybe rounding up to four a little bit more than I was before. Um, okay. Just purely because <laughs> I I have considered now how vanilla the plot is. In the story, instead of just yeah, focusing so much a on the character, yeah, there's not a whole lot going on. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's nice that it's a contained story. I definitely think, like we said, there's going to be uh, factors that affect the the later stories of the High Republic, and this is a setup story mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. So it may get boosted back up later on when we look back and see that the plot was a little more important than we expected it to be, but. Uh, yeah, the, the plot itself takes a little bit of hit. I still feel as rock solid about the characters and my positions on all of them as I did at the beginning. I hope it all pays off. I think it will. I think we're we're going to get more stories from this. Absolutely. And, of course, you know, we know Justina Ireland's coming back. We know these characters are coming back. Vernestra is going to be a big-time player in future stories, and we will cover all of that here on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. Uh, you can follow us by following us on all the social links that are in our show notes. Uh, we have Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, I'm working on getting a TikTok together. I'm trying to not be an old man and figure that out. Um, so th- there's lots of content coming, lots of content coming. All you got to do is hit that subscribe button and you will get the flagship show that we mentioned, Sith talk that we mentioned, uh, forever star Wars starships. And of course, don't burn the sacred text. And we are talking about high Republic across all those mediums. So follow us. And while you're doing that, remember to keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.